0: Welcome to the Freewheeling Podcast. We're here to talk about Perry Bay Femme of X Zwift. My name is Abby Mickey, and I am, as always, joined by Lauren Rowney.
1: Lauren, hello. I was prepared. Good morning, everyone. Gracie Elvin.
2: Bonjour, bonsoir, whatever time of day you're in.
0: <laughs> and a very tired Amy Lauren Jones, who's been on the ground at Perry Bay. It
3: was great, but I need to sleep for a week now. <laughs>
0: I mean, heck, I needed to sleep for like multiple days after watching the women's race, but we will get to that. Luckily, our sponsor today, the supporter of this episode, is going to get a lot of praise (laughs) over this podcast, I think. Today's episode is brought to you by Trek and their new line of apparel. Not just any old apparel. They claim that this product is better for the planet. And actually, Trek was just named to Time's 100 most influential environment i can't remember exactly what it was but like pretty big honor that they they got named to that list. They're saying that this apparel delivers all of the performance with less of the impact. Along with timeless style and quality, each piece contains fabrics that are sourced sustainably and chosen specifically to save waste from landfills. The new lineup consists of jerseys, shorts, and socks. The main fabric of the jersey is diverted, has diverted 1.9 million plastic water bottles from landfills. The shorts have saved 40 tons of pre-consumer textile waste. And by moving to 100% recycled packaging, they've eliminated the need need for over three tons of plastic bags. Pretty cool stuff and a step in the right direction for sure. And Trek says this is just the beginning. They're committed to seeking out and using more sustainable materials wherever possible. So expect to continue to see this trend as new apparel is introduced. Visit trekbikes.com to learn more. And thank you so much to Trek for sponsoring this episode.
1: Does this mean Trek will move away from Santini and just start wearing their own stuff?
0: I don't know, but that would be pretty cool. I mean, I think, but you would imagine like kind of like Canyon Stram, Canyon has their own line of apparel now that they would, the team would want to, you know, support, be supported by Trek as much as they can. But I think that they've got a pretty long relationship with mm. with Santini.
1: But it's like the perfect marketing tool to have your men's and women's team riding the kit you make.
0: Absolutely pretty cool stuff from them. I mean, I they a lot of what they've done in the last couple years is moving the company into a lot more sustainable. And I know all of us here are pretty keen for the planet to keep turning the way that, the way that it has been. So that would be ideal if possible. That would be <laughs> would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, we've got a pretty Epic race to talk about today. I'm not gonna lie, I never really understood the draw of Perry Roubaix until like last year. (laughs) So (laughs) but all of a sudden it's like my favorite race on the calendar and the race over the weekend was incredible. We'll start with a slight rundown of what happened and I do have two notes today because I am have not memorized the course like I have for Flanders and Estel Gold. Why are you
2: slacking off, Abby? I really dropped the ball.
3: not like there wasn't like a million different things that happened throughout the race yeah you have one job gosh
0: (laughs) oh yeah I'm so sorry I'm so sorry to let you all down anyway so the race started off with five person move up the road that ended up before the first sector of cobbles getting, well, on the first sector of cobbles it blew apart. And two of the riders went back to the peloton, including American Katie Klaus, who's an incredible cyclocross racer and finished last on the day, but finished. So that's pretty cool. Anyway, so going into the first sector of cobbles, Trek Segafredo like really uh, took the bull by the horns for lack of a better expression. They, I, I said last week that Ellen Van Dyke, not great at handling or positioning. And I think she took it personally. Although talking to her before the race, she did say that her positioning was something that she really needed to work on. We'll get into that. So in the first sector of cobbles, they really blew the race to pieces. And once Ellen got a flat a little while later, it kind of came back together and the group regrouped a little bit, but there was an attack by Lodoka Pecky with 53-ish kilometers to go on the, this is where I took notes, Oshii, Ashia Bercy. See this my notes are useless because I can't speak French, so it sounds terrible anyway. It was sector six.
3: Or thirteen, depending
0: if you're counting down or up. Six sectors into the race. Lotokopecki kind of threw down on one of the cobbled sectors, and she took Marta Bassianelli with her, eventually Lucinda brand, caught up with them. The three of them worked together, 20-ish K, K. 1918-K. But that eventually got brought back, and pretty immediately after that, Elisa Longaborghini attacked on the the double sector, the sector that's kind of like, it's two sectors of cobbles, but there's a little bit of road in between. So if you look on the Paris-Roubaix official site, it's sector... Eight, as in eight to go. Elisa Longaborghini attacked. She was kind of followed by Chantal Vanderbrook Black and Emma Norsgaard, but they were not able to get on her wheel in time, and she rode away, a classic Elisa Longaborghini move that I don't think any of us expected to see on Saturday. She rode all the way to the finish. There was a chasing group of Chantal Vanderbrook Black, Lotto Capecchi, Ellen Van Dyke, Lucinda Brand, Marta Cavalli, uh, Florida Mackay and Elise Shabby that rode into the bel- velodrome together. Capecchi sprinted for second, Brand for third, and and that was the race. And Trek Segafredo kept the Perry cobble within within the family. That is it's pretty good. good. Yeah. What Any. I couldn't remember is the names of the cobbled sectors, but I can't say them anyway, so
1: I don't think it matters. The, the sectors make it easier, though, right?
3: Yeah. Um, Amy,
1: where were you standing on the day?
3: Uh yeah, we went to a few different places. We went so we went to the first sector, Hornake or whatever it's called, um, where Lizzie died in an attack last year. Um, and then we went to another one, what's it called? Hang on a sec. We went to one, I think hang on. Is it Mons and Pavel? Is that
0: that's one of the big ones. Two, so the men have three five-star five star, five star cobble detectors and the women have two, Monson Pavel and the Carrefour de Labra.
3: I think it was that one because it was the one where like the cobbles are, well, the road is like banked, mm. like almost like, and you could tell why like everyone was like slipping and sliding around last year in the mod because the road is like so uneven. And there's like a, uh, it's like a proper farm track with like the where it peaks in the middle of the road and there, but then with cobbles are like massive, the size of Johnny's head. um
0: so. Do not bring your regular podcast jokes onto this podcast. I'm so,
3: but I did. I brought Debbie
0: to the regular ones. It's only fair. That's true. Everyone who's been clamoring for Debbie to come back—if you heard the regular podcast over the weekend—Debbie was back in
3: full force. <laughs> she was this morning Debbie is um she's sleeping because I, it's 8 30 in the morning I Have a coffee <laughs> instead of a leffer. so anyway uh mm. yeah so I think I'm pretty sure it was that one anyway that we went to um I remember eating a lot of dust
0: yeah I mean the campus. weather no, no, no. the weather like really couldn't have been any different this year to how it was last year last year obviously it was it rained before and it was sloppy it was just really an epic first ever Perry roubaix femme but this was dry there was a chance of rain on Friday the day before the race but it did not rain it was hot and dry and that caused a lot of punctures within the peloton. There is a lot, a lot, a lot of issues. There was still some crashes, but obviously not nearly as many as last year um with with the, like Amy just said, the embankments on the side sides of the cobbles and everything. Um, but yeah, the weather was totally different. What should we st- what should we talk about first? Should we talk about Oli's Longorghini first and Trek? How should we do this? I feel like we should talk about Elise Longaborghini first because she really track was Trek in general. Oh man, Trek was Trek was incredible. I mean, they really last year they won the race. Lizzie Dagnan attacked on the first sector of cobbles, but but was it really we, we didn't get to see it, so we don't know if it was really an attack or she just came into the cobbled sector first and whoever was on her wheel couldn't hold it. And because of the conditions it was really hard for any chasing to happen and once once you hit the first sector of cobbles the cobbles come like fast and furious like they're one after another there's barely enough road in between each cobbled sector to chase there's like a couple longer bits but it's still it's not enough to kind of organize a chase and so when she went on that first sector last year it was kind of race over and it was still an incredible race to watch but this year was completely different in that there was, there was an attack that went with three riders that I that went into the race's favorites. That I think w- I was shocked when that came back together. When, but we'll get to that. And Trek was they were present all day. There was one point where it looked like their race had fallen apart. I mean, they started the day on the front foot with Ellen going into the first couple of sectors of cobbles first and her power is just so incredible that she was able to m- whittle the pedal- peloton down a little bit which i think is ideal for for trek they had a lot of riders sitting in the f- near the front of the peloton and so they would have been it would have been easier for them to position going into the later sector of cobbles as the race got harder but then on the third sector ellen got a front flat Chloe Hosking crashed really hard on the side of the road and pretty soon after that Eliza uh, Balsamo got a flat and then disqualified which we'll talk about so th- for a minute there it looked like the race was s- started really well for them and then just completely fell apart but it wasn't the case I mean Elisa Longorghini's been we've talked about it she's not been great this year she's been suffering from illness her form hasn't even before she got sick her form, wasn't ideal. And she took the week off, didn't race Amstel gold, didn't race Provence appeal and came back just flying. I mean, that was, that was such an incredible ride by her. It was, I think for her, like her spring was really disappointing for track. The spring has been, I mean, not disappointing because Balsamo's won three world tour races, but still in the, in the really hard races, Strada Bianchi and Flanders, they've, kind of fallen short and especially Flanders like they weren't even part of the race really but for them to come into Paris-Roubaix like they did and take first and third on the day with Brand taking third this is I mean I think it's just like just an incredible performance by Trek all, all around.
2: I think that they, they just did really well to keep pivoting with the bad luck that they were having through the day, which just shows us that their communication is really good. They must've been on their radios a lot um, because Elisa attacked at the perfect moment. But I think that was because that they were given that information that they're probably their leader, Balsamo was no longer in the race and she just capitalized perfectly on a couple of attacks from other people in the right moment. And, and that was the race. But yeah, I think before then they looked like they were talking, they were using their radios. Um, they probably as a team like as a top team probably had some of the worst luck and you know they had the best outcomes. And maybe SD Works was not talking enough or yeah. we'll get into that break of three that you mentioned because for me that was where SD works lost the race but um yeah I I just thought that Trek really nailed their communication I think that was their key to
3: success we need to talk about the sticky bottle do we think it was a fair call
0: I mean that she was disqualified Yeah. yeah She was, she's the world champion, so there's more cameras on her than, than most people in the race. I mean, we saw the sticky bottle. She was just hanging on for a really long time. And that happens in races a lot, and it doesn't always get captured on video. But it did, and it, it didn't look good for her or for the team.
3: I think what also made it, I think what clinched it was that they passed other riders as well. Yeah, That's what I was going to say
2: too. Like, it's just a big no-no to pass riders that are chasing as well. So I think it was equal parts her fault and the director's fault. I think they need to share the blame for that one. I, I
0: think they would have been panicking at that point. I mean, at for that sure. point, their star rider, Balsamo, is off the back. They don't know how Eliza Borghini Bals- is going to be riding, like, at the pointy end of the race yet. Ellen had a flat and was working her way back into that group. Like, at that point, everything was falling apart for them. So it was a call that was made in the heat of the moment. And I think Johnny was pretty close to the trek team bus after the race ended and heard Balsamo and Ina Tuttenberg, the director, chatting after the race. And Balsamo was really, really upset. Um, Which, I mean, stuff like this. In the men's peloton, like, this will follow you for your whole career. I don't think that's the case for this situation because Trek had a bigger storyline coming out of the day, but had they not won the race, like, this would have been the defining moment for
2: them. Mm -hmm. I felt so bad for her. Like, I think it was the right call. I agree with you, Abby. But I felt so bad for her because I don't know her personally but she seems like a really nice person and a very gracious athlete and winner so I know like it would have been devastating for most people in that situation but I think she races pretty fairly like she's definitely not your old school dirty Italian rider like I just think it was a bad moment and you're right like they were panicking it's that was the peak of the race it's like it was just a bad decision so I hope that she doesn't have to wear that for a long time. And yeah, totally right too. Luckily they they had a better story for the day. I
0: don't think, I don't think we should
1: hold it against her for sure. No, no way. I've honestly already forgotten that storyline to be perfectly honest. I mean, how many writers have we seen take sticky bottles before? I think that was a conversation on one of the commentary teams, maybe in Dutch, but yeah, the fact that she was a world champion, she had a bit more attention on her. Um, and there's a difference to to what happened there and being in a climbing race and then seeing a bunch of, well, like in the Giro, riders come past you when you've been dropped on team cars holding on. Um, that happens. <laughs> so I definitely don't hold it against her. I don't think anyone will. It's, yeah, like you said, equal parts the director and the rider. And I'm sure in that moment, they would have been, yeah, pushing her to hold on a little bit.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I do wonder, um, I know that, yeah, you probably know more, Elise, um, Abby, but Elisa had been targeting Perry roubaix even though she'd had a pretty average spring for her with everything that's going on. If Balsamo had stayed in the race, like would they have given her the opportunity? to go, I still think they would have.
0: I think so. I think Trek went into this race maybe with their focus on Bosmo, but I think they really went in with a let's throw everything at it and whatever sticks sticks kind of approach. And that's when, when Longo attacked, she said that it wasn't the plan at all for her to attack. At that point, it was pure instinct. She just felt in that moment that it was a great moment to attack. And, and that's why she went and she does that Longo And sometimes it works. And sometimes it works really well. Like we saw that in Trofeo Alfredo Binda last year, and sometimes it doesn't work. And this time it just worked really well. And she has, She came into the season with a new coach. She was building up over the spring for the Ardennes races before she was a little bit worried about her form just because when you aren't riding well in those early season races, it can really knock your confidence. And especially Longa Borghini. She was in my opinion, one of the best riders of the year last year, just consistently over the entire season I mean, to win world tour races in the beginning of the year, to get third at the Olympic road race, and then third at, uh, Paris-Roubaix in October is, is a pretty impressive season from somebody. And she was really, I think, worried about her form coming into the later part of the spring, but this was the plan. The plan was the Ardennes. And I think with the form that she showed on Saturday, going into Flesh wallone on Wednesday and liege bass on i mean she's a favorite for those two races i didn't even put her on my list of favorites for this race i had not i think on gcn dan lloyd maybe picked her for the win or or maybe it was adam and i was like you're nuts (laughs) there's no way (laughs) um but she wasn't on my radar at all for this race and i'm i'm just so glad that she's like, she's one of my favorite riders because of the way that she races, because of the tacks just like this, at, whether they work or not, she's always so exciting to watch. And I mean, her her post-race interviews are always so adorable because she just loves her family so much. Like, she just says over and over, like, my family, my family. She was talking about her nieces and nephews um, multiple times <laughs> in the post-race interview. But, but yeah, this was the plan. And I think especially for Liege Basson on the age, like she's a absolute favorite now, top three favorite for me.
2: I think that she just was able like, I'm sure we've mentioned this in past podcasts, but I think Lauren, you would be able to relate to the feeling of, you know, something bad happens. And then all that expectation goes off, all the pressure goes off and you just there's no pressure to win anymore because you're just coming into a race like hope you know you just have no expectations of yourself so you often do really well and I think that's a really powerful lesson for so many athletes that we all experience at one time or another but for for young riders it's good to see that like having injuries having illnesses It's actually not the worst thing. It it can often be really helpful because it just puts things into his perspective or you freshen up, which is a a huge thing. I think a lot of athletes are just more fatigued than they realise. So, yeah, Lauren, you've probably had a day like that where you just rode a lot better than you thought you would because you had no pressure on yourself.
1: Actually, that reminds me, if we're going to reminisce, the day I broke my collarbone in Drenta, so, yeah, I was thinking of that day. <laughs> yeah, I the team said before that race to me, like, we just want you going in every move and we just want you to prove yourself to us because um, I've been okay that spring, but they wanted more from me and there wasn't any expectation to win. So, I was just like, I'm just gonna go in literally every move. And I think I was in every move, and then finally, the winning move went. And I was there and then I had just raced on pure instinct. Back to basics. No, no one in my ear telling me what to do. Um, you know, once that break had formed, the race car came up, and basically the director's like, just I want to see you racing like you did four years ago when we signed you. I'm like, okay. So yeah, it was one of those days. And so with Elisa, I think we were chatting on on the group chat while you were commentating, Gracie. But I don't know. I had this feeling she was going to pull it off, even though it was 32k to go or something, because like we saw, we see many times in this race. It's not a normal chase. It's not a normal sprint at the end of such a hard race. And I think once you get that gap um, and as the rider, like you've got that self-belief within yourself, she just started pulling away and the chase behind just... Yeah, you don't have the same legs anymore. It Doesn't matter who's who's chasing, even if it is um Chantal Vanderbrook Black, for example, who was one of my picks for the day. And uh, she
0: she really had no pressure because she wasn't even supposed to race. She told the team she didn't want to race um because she didn't think that she was going to be good enough. And so she yeah. had probably the least amount of pressure from uh, of the entire team on her. They just wanted her to to be there really. So yeah, and she, I think uh, when she went, like she just went all in. There was no no hesitation. She didn't have, she didn't hold anything back at all, which is, is what she does.
1: And I think knowing as well, like we were talking about the bad luck with Trek, but Lucinda was on a good day. Uh, mm. This is a race who suits her. And if she had an ear like, I'm just gonna go full gas, we're gonna get caught so be it. Ellen and Lucinda are behind me. Lucinda on a day like yesterday could potentially win from that group behind if Eliza had. So you're in a safe situation in terms of it doesn't matter what happens. You just go all in full gas. And you if you get brought back, well, I have two teammates and Elisa is always going to have that little bit of extra energy to then contribute to the finale. So And
0: Lucinda and Ellen both looked really, really strong on Saturday as well. Lucinda was in, I think we should talk about this three person break and and talk about SD works because um, there was this, that three person move that was about 53 ish kilometers to go. That was Capecchi started the move, mm-hmm. which I'm going to just go ahead and say was a bad call uh, <laughs> that far out. Um, And she took Marta Bastianelli, who's had just a ripper spring with her. And then brand worked her way up to them and was eventually there. And Capecchi said after the race that actually the reason that they, that she pulled the plug on that group was because brand wasn't committing to the committing to working with the group. Um, but between the three of them, I mean, if that group had gone to the, gone to the velodrome. Kopecky takes it. Like Brand is incredible, but she can't out sprint Kopecky. So that was a really interesting development. Like <laughs> in that trek was on the front foot already. They had someone in that move, a really strong rider in that move. But SD Works, I don't know what they're. I don't know what they were doing. Like like I, it makes it's cool to me that Kapecki went in, in terms of a viewer watching the race and the excitement of having the Belgian national champion up the road with like 50 kilometers to go. But they really went into this race as the out and out favorite. Like they had my they had uh, Chantal Vanderbroek Black who's riding super well. They had Capecchi who won Flanders. They went into the race for me, the team to beat and they did better than they did last year. The top result they had last year was Chantal in 10th, but they, f- to walk away with second, I think is kind of a disappointment for them, which is wild because a year ago, you'd say, especially if it was Kapeki, like she's progressed so much as a rider in the last two years, but still, I feel like, I don't know. I didn't understand their tactics.
2: I think they, they definitely burned themselves a bit too early, and they were driving the front on some of those earlier sectors, and they were they were whittling down the peloton, but they weren't probably doing the damage that they were intending to do. And then when Lotte got off the front with those other two riders, Bastianelli and Brand, it looked to me like she was actually the first one to not ride hard, not Brand. So I need to go back and rewatch it to. really remember it but I remember in commentary going what why is she sitting up when she was the one that drove it to get this group away in the first place well I wonder if she like
0: if she was just second guessing it and she was feeling that brand wasn't working and that's why she sat up because she you're right she sat up first she was the first one to kind of be like "Eh." so I wonder if brand that we couldn't see that she was soft pedaling through the through a little bit. Um, or if Kapeki just didn't have the, uh, the confidence to be like, okay, I'm going to just keep this going.
2: Yeah. I think SD works went, tried to be on the front foot from the uh, bit too early and then suddenly they were on the back foot. And then I think, so that was like, the first time that they probably made a big mistake because Kabeke could have won probably from that group even if she pulled the most turns there's a big question mark there but for arguments sake (laughs) (laughs) and then I think their biggest the the second mistake was just driving it but not having a clear plan like there was a couple of points where Chantal was driving it on the cobbles but Christine was driving it on the dirt and they were almost just drag racing and Wasting one of them when they could have just one person could have dropped the wheel or made it difficult for other people instead, that they were only hurting each other. Yeah. And then the third major mistake was when Chikini went with Emma Noor's guard when Elisa attacked. And I hate to say it, but it looked like she didn't try as hard as she could to get across and she just sat up, and that was the race over.
3: I think SD Works were missing Marlon Russo mm. and the engine that she's got.
0: I do not understand why they didn't. She's she, apparently like nothing's wrong. She's just on holiday. She took the weekend off.
3: I mean, fair play. She deserves a holiday, but could she not have waited a week?
1: Oh, it was a few days because the other race was just on Wednesday. I, think, I don't understand that call. I, I agree. And we said it before, that was a big mistake because she has the ability like Ellen Van Dyke to just drive it on the front and still be there at the end. You know, um, she can be that person towing riders, teammates back. <laughs> and yeah, Chikini, I don't think she's been okay this spring, but she, she doesn't quite have the legs um, for... Lack of a better word. So when I saw that going, I was like, "Nope, that's the wrong SD Works rider right now." Um, because if if there was one rider who maybe could have done it, it would have been Chantel, uh, for sure. So yeah,
0: I think I said Chantel in my in my bra- race breakdown, but it was Chicini. Yeah, but there was other riders on the roster that that we just for a race that's this big. Yeah, I'm I was shocked that they that they didn't tap Rusa because like you were saying, Gracie, they were too keen in the beginning, but so was Ellen. But not uh, everyone is sure. Ellen Van Dyke. <laughs> also
1: for Ellen's sake, like you said, if she's been um, you know, having some issues with confidence with positioning, she is a rider who can do that, can sit at the front, and that is the safest place to be, is on the front, setting your own tempo, riding the line that you want to ride. Um, and it got her really deep in the race. If she had sat at the back like she has been doing, she never would have, you know, ended up there um, and would have been more susceptible to crashing and all that sort of stuff. So, but Rusa could have matched that effort by Ellen 100%. And I think she is writing more confidently too. So,
3: I said this on say it, whisper it, the main podcast. <laughs> that um I I compared I was saying the other day I think it was at, while I was watching Flanders I was like Marlon Russo's like SD works as Ellen Van Dyke and the person I said it to was like isn't that a bit offensive to her like she's oh and then they were like oh look it's Trek Marlon Russo and I was like no but like Ellen Van Dyke is known as this like really powerful rider that can just like she's
0: a legend yeah I mean, it's cool. it's a
3: it's a compliment no anyway but she kind of is she's like their their answer to like that type of rider and not every team has that only two teams have that yeah i've
1: got a funny story about that the the first two years i got to race with ellen and because we're both tall and i have blonde hair back then our body shapes are different she looks way more powerful on the back but someone for a moment. In a race had been confused and was like I thought it was Ellen and I thought that was a funny story. I told my DS at the end of the race because I thought it was such a great story to be um, thought of as Ellen Van Dyke and he said in his very thick German accent you are not Ellen Van Dyke. (laughs) Yeah that put me in my place.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I always got compared to Ali Stalker which I was like that's the highest of compliments that you could ever have. Did you attack from
1: the gun? <laughs> yes,
0: attacked too early. And-
3: <laughs> no one ever compared me to a world tour rider.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I wonder. So I got a message from somebody who who listens to the podcast about if we were going to talk about how SD works in a couple of the races, and I think that we're only like hard on them because they are such an incredible team how they've had some very, very questionable tactics. Is is this the point where we look at Anna Vandebregen as the new director and question how she's directing the team? Something that I'm very hesitant to do because I love her. <laughs> but you would, in this situation, you would look at how the team has gone into a couple of these races with maybe i don't know being too confident not having not committing to one rider not committing to two riders like whatever has gone wrong tactically for them it is the director's call what the plan is and anna is their new director and is it growing pains for her is that what's happening right now Yeah, it, that's a tough one.
1: It's, on the flip side of the coin, you could say, is it also because she's not present anymore as a rider?
0: Definitely, yeah.
1: Like I know for a fact, like Trek has missed having Lizzie Deignan around. Um, she's been a huge part of that team, Lizzie, and just her presence, um, from what I've heard, is, is really important in the team dynamics and just how they function. And we, we've we chatted about Canyon Shram when they don't have i think when actually tiff isn't there sometimes things fall apart
0: yeah I, i wonder if it's less growing pains from anna as a director in the car than having her as a voice on the road it's obviously way different to be making calls from the car versus as the captain on the road and so i wonder if that's that's where the misinformation is happening and that's where the the tactics are kind of falling apart and it's has nothing to do with whether or not Anna's a good director because I think it would be hard not to be when you have the amount of experience that she has but more that they maybe there's riders on the team that aren't picking up that captain on the road uh role that Anna would have filled and the team is kind of missing that a little bit which is interesting because you'd think it would be chantal with the amount of experience that she has
1: Mm, but i guess a gracie can speak to this experience doesn't always translate to being a leader um, in that sort of captain's sort of you could have 20 years but some people just don't have it and then you have writers who've been writing for maybe three or four years and are quite young but already have that that quality that leadership quality and
0: sometimes worse writer like writers that were not great in their careers are actually better directors i've found
1: yeah and that's another point to add here is if you are a world champion um athlete you're not going to make a world champion coach or director It doesn't necessarily always translate Oof.
2: To put it simply, SD Works have some really great, talented riders, but they can never do the same tactics as when they had Anna on the team because she just could do things that no one else could do. There you go. And so she's not necessarily able to give the same advice of what she would do in a race to someone like Chantal because they're just different riders and I don't... Apart from Demi, I don't think there's anyone on their team could ever ride the same tactics that Anna could back when she was in her peak. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I was really interested from the start of the year to see how she would go as a director. But, you know, you just don't know what's going on behind those closed doors. I'm sure that she's not doing it on her own. They've got the other directors there to help her. Um, And it would be a big shift regardless of whether she's going to be a good director or not. So they had questionable tactics before she was a director. I'm going to put that out there.
0: They could just pull it off because they had Anna to pick it up. The
2: Anna Yeah. Yeah. So I I really just don't think it's anything to do with her as a director. I think it's just a, a team issue that they've had for a long time and it plays out well. Sometimes they win a race with questionable tactics and sometimes they don't, and that's where we pick it apart more. But it happens when they win races too. I think mm, mm. when you're like, "Wow, what the hell are they doing?" But it worked. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. But
2: yeah, it was. We do have high hopes for them. So
0: <laughs> we do. I mean, that's the thing about like Trek and SD Works is they're probably the two best teams in the world, and well, they are the two best teams in the world, and that's why when they get things wrong, we're way more critical of them than we are of other teams. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're hard on other teams too, but but like when you have the riders that you and the and the support that you have on SC Works and Trek, which actually I wonder if we should well, I don't even know if we should dive into tech cuz I wonder like how much the bikes made a difference. I mean, Trek obviously they have their pick of type of bikes. And they have a specific bike just for this race, the Demone. And they had, they had new Demones, uh, that have not yet been released that they were racing on this weekend. And I wonder how much of a difference that makes in a race like this. Cause obviously this is the only time that they ever race anything (laughs) as challenging as this. And you had, I mean, I thought it was interesting that, um, Chantal was on the Tarmac SL7, and Christine Magirus was on the Roubaix uh, for, the, for Specialized. And then the whole Trek team rode the Damone. I think it would make a huge difference, especially if you're looking at them, and then you're looking at, say, Canyon, r- amazing bikes, like, don't get me wrong, but they have less options when it comes to a race like Paris-Roubaix.
1: I am not a techie person, which is shameful after how long I've been in the sport. So I can't comment at all. But um, my partner did ask if we would be talking about what was going around in the news before Paraguay, something to do with adjusting tire pressure on the fly. Hmm,
3: like that—that yeah. that was DSM. But um, the women were never going to get that. I don't think. Um, okay. Well, indeed and then the men didn't trust it anyway because cycling hates change and to be honest it sounded a bit rogue i know nothing about tech either um it sends me to sleep sorry ronan but um yeah thankfully
1: there is a podcast dedicated to that so yes true
3: which (laughs) none of us are on and there's a reason for that
1: (laughs) i think it does
0: yeah even with our limited knowledge of tech i feel like this is the one instance where you can be like yeah i think that this would make a difference bikes or the the bikes, just like the the handling of the bikes over the cobbles, the stiffness, the I mean, just because the cobbles are so challenging and they only do this once a year. and like last exactly the same as last year, Trek is the team that does the most homework that does the most recons, that does the most effort in the equipment side. and other teams go into the race with the exact same bikes that they use all year long. And I think that it does say a lot to the team and the support that the team has and how much Trek is putting into the team as well, that they have that option of having this, this, like they have an entire fleet of bikes for one day of races. And so the fact that they want it is just like the icing on the cake, I feel like, or validates all of the effort that they put in.
1: Yeah. Well, they didn't get a podium with the men, so.
0: They had a really bad day for the
1: (laughs) Yeah, they did. (laughs) Like, it was. I must admit, I only watched the last 30K of the men's race. I went for a bike ride. It was very nice. Oh,
0: (laughs) they, it it looked really, really nice. Yeah, they had. I mean, they were on the back foot from the very beginning for the men. (laughs) They used up all of their good vibes on Saturday.
1: Can we do some shout outs? So, for me, I was really impressed with Mata Cavalli. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, yeah to me too. She win. was on my shout-outs. Yeah, freaking win Amstel gold, tiny little climber up there in that finishing group. I was just, like, blown away by her ride. Um, and she got a flat, like,
0: yeah. on in the middle of the race and was able to come back from that.
1: And then I also I like to shout-out Aussies like Gracie. I thought Tiff rode a good race. Chloe was doing great work for Trek before she had that unfortunate crash. Um, I'm not sure how she is, but it looked like she did a good – humble the way that we're taught to crash. Um it's
2: finished. She Looks all right.
0: Okay. It's good. It was a <laughs> soft landing, you know, into mm. the
2: dirt and grass.
0: In the
1: fields. Yeah.
2: I'm I'm glad she's okay because I think that was a very memeable crash. So <laughs> yes. It's
0: <laughs> definitely true. Um I wanna shout out Elise Shabby because I feel like she is such an incredible climber. She's pretty new to the sport. And for her to finish fourth is really, really impressive. I mean, it's not, you wouldn't really consider a race like Perry within her skill set, but it was an impressive ride by her. And she was the top Canyon Stram rider on the day. And I, when I saw her come across, I, I didn't even like, it didn't, click for me that she was in that break or in that chasing group it was only when i saw the results that i was like oh that was shabby <laughs> of course and i think that for canyon stram going into the next couple of races where kasha will be a favorite for flesh alone and for liege bass liege we we are super critical of them and their tactics but having a rider like shabby who's like riding fourth in, at paris-roubaix obviously she's riding very well um is bodes well for the team for the upcoming races
1: yeah i think they'll, they'll have some strength this year in those races they're gonna have soraya paladin as well um so they're at least gonna have cassia uh soraya and elise up there in the front
3: you know elise enforced me like i wouldn't have put earth as a favorite or somebody to come in the top 10 before the race maybe but When I saw that she came forth, I was kind of a bit like, okay, that figures because she is this like kind of, again, like a powerful, she's a time trialist, right? So it's like, she just has the ability, she's like power over the cobbles, which like is the kind of rider that this race suits. And we know she's like super strong, but she's just usually working for other riders. And she's really skilled. Like if you watch her descend, I know it's not quite the same, but yeah, she's obviously got it. Also, five for Georgie.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah she, was she was also great.
3: Really she's good. been fantastic
1: this year. Mm-hmm.
0: Florida Mackay also. Floridoo Mackay yeah. had a really good ride. I mean, for her, because I think that they would have been riding for Lorena, would be my assumption, who had some bad luck. And uh, I think she, I can't remember if she crashed or flatted, but then definitely like was not. Was not really handling the cobble super well, um, but I think what we can take away from looking at the top ten is we still we still have no idea what like this who this race actually
2: suits. It's a special race, and I think we're just going to look forward to it every year because it just throws up so much drama. One hundred. And can I, I'll do one more shout out, which was Tanya Arath. She mm. was the Swift Academy winner from two thousand seventeen, and. She was awesome in that breakaway. She was the last one before the Peloton swallowed her up and it's an event that was sponsored by Zwift. So I think that was a really awesome example because I think when Zwift Academy first started, there were so many people questioning whether riders had the skill to be out on the road after coming from a virtual platform and like Rupe is arguably the most technical race ever in road cycling. So I think she did a great job. I spoke yeah.
3: to her at the finish and um, asked her about being in that break and she said that, um, and where have we heard this before? She said she wanted to be out front because she didn't want to be in the peloton because uh, she was, I mean, she had a really bad crash at the end of last year in the women's tour and she's like just coming back from that. So I think she's mm. a bit nervous. So, yeah, she she basically did a half for there, just not quite as.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people wanted to be in front of the peloton. <laughs> In that. <laughs> yeah yeah
0: like
3: yeah it,
2: looking at
0: ellen van dyke ellen van dyke has years and years and years of experience and she i guarantee she didn't want to be in the peloton on the cobbles either <laughs> yep.
3: no, i don't mm. understand like how the how like looking at those cobbles honestly and like this is freeway so maybe i can say this but the thing i was thinking about is like your saddle bashing around <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my god and, and did you see uh Aliza Lazimo, oh. when she hit that pothole, and yes. I was just oh, yeah. like, oh, fuck. That
2: was... <laughs> oh. no.
0: <laughs> that would not be, that would not be a pleasant, that would, no. I, that's what I can think about. I was like,
3: oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: I was gonna say something, but
3: (laughs) it wasn't
0: I I think this race is a really special race and I feel like I didn't appreciate it before there was a women's edition because obviously uh I like women's racing more than men's (laughs) but we've had two years (laughs) we've had two years of just incredible bike racing with very unexpected winners or slightly unexpected winners in Lizzie's case, where we look at riders, like we think we can predict what's going to happen. We look at riders like Ellen and Chantal and say, okay, these are the favorites, but clearly the race can throw way more at us. And it's, it's just awesome. I just love it. And I love that the women's race was on Saturday and the men's race was on Sunday because Although having the women's race finish right after the men's race, like Flanders did the, the viewing numbers were huge and it was, uh, really great for the sport, the the people on the side of the road and everything, but having it broken into two pieces meant that the women really got all the attention on Saturday. I mean, all eyes were on the women's race and I think it was Velo News said that their viewer their their page views on Saturday were more than the men's Paris Roubaix from last year. Clearly, the there's enough attention growing on the women's side of the sport, where having it on two separate days doesn't make that big of an impact on how many people are watching the race. And I think it, I am curious to see this coming week as the viewer numbers are released like how many people watch the women's race because I thought it was great that it was on two
2: separate days yeah and there was a lot of crowd out watching the women's race too like it looked great on tv to have Mm. so many people along the sectors and then that velodrome was pretty packed like we all shared that same feeling of goosebumps Mm -hmm. watching Elisa ride into that that was so cool so you can only imagine what would have been like for her
3: there was a whole corner of like italian fans yeah which was yeah they were going crazy there's obviously. like
0: one photo that i pulled from from the grubers that was aliza is like a long shot and you could just see like a massive italian flag in the background and it was great but the velodrome was full
2: yeah there were some good photos
0: this race does not disappoint when it
1: comes to photos and and just like epic images and stuff, <laughs> I think it it is the one finish though. Like, and particularly if you you've raced a bike on any level, like if you put yourself in that person's shoes, I don't know. Gracie's ridden on that velodrome. Amy, have you ridden around it or just seen it?
3: I've stood inside it. Yeah, not it's just like. It. Obviously,
1: when you you go there and you write it on your own, like it's special, but then when you see it on TV with the crowds, like if you just think to yourself, imagine like being that writer, writing in solo is just so special. It's cool when like a small group comes in like with Matt Heyman a few years ago, but just when they come in solo, it's just like even more epic. I don't know.
3: Yeah.
1: Still.
0: And like, we got the extended TV coverage this year, which was 90K, I mean, maybe, yeah, we saw all of the cobbled sectors. So we saw basically the entire race. The only thing we missed were those circuits in Denain and, uh, the breakaway, the first break of five going up the road, but the extended TV coverage of a race like this, I mean, women's cycling is definitely on the rise. There's, there's good things happening.
1: I would love, like, a dream for me would be to have Gracie fly over next year and then the four of us on the ground. For, no, Gracie's uh, got to commentate. Know? Gracie's holding down the
0: commentary part of this race, making it bearable. To <laughs>
1: can't win. can't they just let it go for one week? And actually, as well, on that point, if you're listening, UCI, can you please bring back that week where it's, like, Flanders-Roubaix?
0: Oh, that was only They're because real. of the – Yeah, that was just because of the French elections. Okay, good. Next week we'll have Holy Week again, Flanders Roubaix.
3: Next week? Awesome. Is it always Easter? I feel like (laughs) having a start on
1: some valuable. We're
2: doing it again next week.
0: It was
1: Easter, Amy or Debbie. Yes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Debbie just wants the chocolate. Don't (laughs) need to waste my time walking along the dirty roads. Gosh.
3: (laughs) Chocolate eggs. And then
2: Easter is on Flanders.
3: Normally, yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. Okay.
1: Because we would, um, I think, when was it, 2016, I bought everyone chocolate and I reckon three riders actually ate it, (laughs) maybe two.
2: Yeah, you and I cleaned up. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) you and I ate like six or seven link bunnies.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, awesome race. I don't think there's much more to say uh, except that I can't wait for next year.
1: And we still have one really cool spring classic left. Flesh Willon has never been a fave of mine. I do love the sprint up that wall, but um I really like Liege Baston Liege. I think that's a great race.
0: Agreed. I I loved Liege Baston Liege in 2020 when Lizzie Dagnan won and mm-hmm. like all the leaves were on the ground and it was just oh my gosh, it was Grace so was chasing her. Race. <laughs> oh, Greece uh, had such a good, good race that day. Yeah, so really looking forward to Liège-Bastogne-Liège. That is on Sunday. flesh alone is on Wednesday,
1: and then we that's know. the end of it.
0: And then that's yeah, that's the over. That's it. That's the spring. I'm
2: sad, done and dusted. Yeah. <laughs>
0: and then
1: we get I was to sleep. So sad. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay,
2: <we can> sleep. <laughs> I was always so sad as a rider when spring's over, and now I'm still sad as a no. spectator.
1: <laughs> May is a weird month. You feel like a bit disjointed. Like, what's what's next?
0: Yeah, except mm. this May we have multiple stage races because mm-hmm. of the new the new races. So there's no sleep for us.
3: Nope. Well, well actually, literally, you. Abby. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> there's really no sleep for me. <laughs> Uh, should we, should we do a little preview of Liege Bass on Liege? I haven't looked at the course yet. And, uh, for anyone listening, who's curious about that, I will do a preview that will be out on Wednesday, but I feel like we could make, we could make some picks, name some riders. I've, I think I've already named my favorite and that's Elisa longa Borghini. but I mean, Cavalli, the way that she's mm-hmm. riding right now, uh, Cile will be back in Chapman. the races by that point. Brody Chapman yeah. won a race yesterday.
1: Yep. She did. She did. French Cup. Yep. Yeah. So awesome. she's she's on good form. And if you're listening, Director Sportive, you know, you need to play that card maybe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought Cassia was um I think she's coming into really good form too. She
0: was she was really, really strong at Brabant's appeal. Like Brabant's appeal was we didn't. We didn't even touch Brabant's appeal because there was so much to talk about for Perry Roubaix. But Brabant's appeal was an awesome race on Wednesday. It was so exciting, and there was a couple riders who did Brabant's and didn't do Perry Roubaix that will be going into the the next two, the last two spring classics, the Ardennes, just flying. And I think Casha is one of them. I think she showed at Brabant's appeal that she's coming into form, but she's also getting a little bit better at timing those moves. And so I'm hoping that, especially for Liege, Brass, and Liege, that means that she's, she's going to be up there.
1: Yep. I think Leon Lippert and Juliette Labuse um, yep. will probably have good rides as well. A dark horse, Lizzie Holden, to go in a move, I think. Um, she's been riding really well. So we have to give, I think she's been a standout performer for um, Nicole Wahoo.
2: Of course, we have some big favorites coming back. Anime van Luiten and Demi Vollering.
0: Yeah, those two will be back. And Demi especially, I'm I'm super curious to see how she goes. Like she was she was, she was strong flying at Brabant's. Yeah. She really raced on feel and uh and and rode an incredibly smart race so i'm excited to see how she goes in, and uh, especially as the defending champion of liege bass and liege without having anna Van Breken to do a 10 kilometer long lead out for her that'll yeah interested to see how that goes and speaking of who who's the pick for sd works as a leader i feel like it would be Dummy. I think at this point they That's would the turn- I just, why did I be? blank
1: that she is with SD Works. I was like going, who are <laughs> <I> gonna run?
0: <laughs> Cause she's not, I, she's not raced a ton this year. No, it would she's be only, her, definitely. She's done three races, I think so far this year. Four races. She's second races. at Newsblood.
1: Um, yeah.
0: And then she did Strada and then she did Flanders and she she's done Braves. five
1: races.
3: Romloop, Strada, Flanders, Amstel, and Robin
1: I think, um, I don't know, we're not really talking about Flesh, but you know how Flesh is just such a, it's such a specific finish to a certain type of like, a writer. Like, it's always the same when you look at the results every year.
0: Well, yeah. It's only well, been one person. person, so one
1: person. <laughs> but, like, in terms of the podium. That's going to make it five. interesting, because it will be yeah. someone else. It doesn't matter who it is. Yeah. <laughs> But it's always like roughly the same, <laughs> the same riders up there. And like Ashley Moulman has been going pretty good and she's podiumed at um Flesh It's it's the sort of finish that suits her. You've got Cecile as well, it suits her. Cassier has been on that podium multiple times. But I mean, demi, it could be, you know, staying within SD works. I
0: feel like the out-and-out out favorite for Flesh alone is Van Vluten because of the finish. Uh, but sure. I'm I'm curious because she she usually, on a shorter climb, like on any climb, she can just ride away. If the road goes uphill, she can ride away. I'm really curious if she can ride away on the Flesh climb or if we're if all of our theories about if about her this year and the peloton just kind of matching her level are going to come true at flesh but i think she's the out and out favorite just based on the way that that race finishes yep anyway that's it we'll call it a day that's our podcast thank you so much for listening if you're if you're riding on zwift i hope you had a great ride with us today one of us might be in the ride who knows I wanted, I tried to jump in one yesterday. It's getting a little bit harder for me to ride a bike at the moment, but still managing it (laughs) thanks to Swift. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week.